Hi, everyone. Welcome to my podcast, where I explore the science of health, human performance, and ultimate potential. My name is Dr. Greg Wells, and I'm a scientist with a PhD in human physiology. I have served as a professor in kinesiology at the University of Toronto and as a scientist in translational medicine at SickKids Hospital. I've also worked with dozens of Olympic-level athletes through the Canadian Sports Centre Network. In this podcast, I do my best to take complex research and make it understandable and actionable for you to improve your health and well-being and perform to your true potential at whatever it is that you care about the most. In each show, I chat with leading experts in the field of productivity, sleep, nutrition, physiology, and psychology, as well as some of the most exceptional performers across all disciplines. Together, we explore the amplifiers that propel us towards high performance and overcome the obstacles that challenge us. Ultimately, I want to share 1% gains that can make a massive difference in your life. Thank you for listening in, and I hope that you enjoy this episode. Let me know your thoughts and comments on social at Dr. Greg Wells. All right, let's dive in. Hi, everyone. Dr. Greg Wells here, and welcome back to the podcast. Great to see you here and feel your energy and presence. Today, I'm going to share with you a section of a workshop that I did at the EPIC conference in Toronto back in December of 2022. Uh, I had the stage for two hours, and at this incredible event that we've been doing for years, uh, I share the science of breathwork, which is the first chapter of the book Powerhouse, which came out recently. So if you loved this, if you love this podcast and you're interested, then pick up the book because I go into a lot more detail in the book than I did on the stage, which is just an overview and an introduction to the concept of breathwork and the science behind it. There's a little bit of Q&A at the end as well, where I dig into some specific tactics and break things down a little bit for the incredible people that were in the audience. So without any further delays, please enjoy this presentation that I did at the EPIC conference all about the science of breath. Let me know what you think on social at Dr. Greg Wells. Uh, I'm super excited to introduce to you uh, one of the founding faculty members, a friend of mine for the last decade, a friend of mine who I have traveled with, spent so much time with, eaten together, drank together water, and, um, <laughs> and shared a lot, of, a lot of good times and a lot of tears and a lot of joy. Uh, please welcome my dearest, one of my dearest friends, Dr. Greg Wells. All right, how good has Stu been so far this morning, right? Just want to get centered here. All right, let's all do that together. So what we just did right there is four billion years in the making. So allow me to explain. Lost my clicker. There we go. So four billion years ago in, this ocean, in the oceans, hypothetically, we think. We weren't there. But there were vents that were blowing hot water and chemicals out of the, out of the ground up into the water. And that blasting furnace of water that was coming out created gradients of temperature. So hot water out, cold water 
you know, there was differences in temperature. There were differences in chemicals as chemicals would get pumped out of the, out of the ground as well. Potassium, sodium, carbon, all sorts of other chemicals would come flying out of, out of the ground. So we had temperature gradients. We had chemical gradients. We also had electrical gradients because whenever you have heat and temperature and molecules moving back and forth, they react with each other and they create massive differences in electricity. So the foundation was created four billion years ago for what subsequently became membranes, which are groups of molecules that hold differences across them. They persist in our bodies today. You'll see where I'm going with this in a moment. One billion years later from the moment of evolution, through all of that period, we landed at a point where there had been enough membranes created that life began, as we know it sort of now, began to emerge. Single-celled organisms started to appear. Plants, algae started to appear. One billion years further, two billion years ago, we ended up with single-celled life that proliferated around the planet. Then something really interesting happened about 1.6 billion years ago, and that was that two different types of single-celled organisms had emerged. One was a type of organism that used sugars, carbon, hydrogen, oxygen, to create energy, and the other type of molecule used the oxygen that had been created by the plants, which should have emerged oh, 1.4 billion years before, to create energy. So one was like a sugar burning, and the other one was oxygen burning. The sugar burning organism ate a single-celled uh, oxygen burning molecule, or organism, excuse me, and instead of digesting it and destroying it and using it and killing it, basically, uh, they started working together, and the oxygen burning organism lived inside the sugar burning organism. And what are now known as mitochondria emerged. Mitochondria are little tiny structures within, they're cells within cells. They are the powerhouse of the cell. And that combination of sugar burning plus oxygen burning all now combined into one single organism gave it such a massive evolutionary advantage because it could create energy under every condition imaginable that life around the planet exploded. Life in the oceans exploded. That's a photo that I took this summer, not a billion years ago, but point being is that life exploded. Life on land exploded. 300,000 years ago, moving towards the current day, we started to see humans in very early forms emerge in the plains of Africa, where I was back in August of this year, and actually went to Old Uvai Gorge, where Lucy was found and held some of these skulls with my kids and showed them, like, this is where life actually started when it comes, for, it comes to humans. And then about 200,000 years ago, something also really sort of interesting, fascinating happened when it comes to mitochondria, is that one early human woman um, had a number of babies with different men, no judgment, and um, <clears throat> all of those children are the carriers for all of the DNA that, ha that we have as all humans today. She is known as mitochondrial Eve. All mitochondrial DNA can be traced back to one woman about a few hundred thousand years ago. So we all 
inherit our mitochondria from your mom. So you have your mom to thank for your current ability to produce energy. And so that has followed all the way through till today. It's super interesting that you know, many of these traditional stories that we've seen in religious texts emerge in some form of truth from like hundreds of thousands of years ago, and I'm as atheist as they come, but I just like, I think it's interesting that that, that that happens. So basically my point here is that all life on Earth that exists today, plant, animal, reptile, all of it, has mitochondria. The reason why life exploded on planet Earth is because of these mitochondria. And not only does life depend upon them, not only is life as a result of these structures, but all human disease is also related to mitochondria. I'm a researcher, uh, currently a little bit, maybe one day a week, I go into Sick Kids Hospital to do research on various different conditions, and it so happens that when I started at Sick Kids 20 years ago now, how did that happen, but anyway, um, I started using magnetic resonance imaging, tweaked it to turn it into spectroscopy to measure chemicals instead of taking pictures, and we started measuring mitochondrial function in legs, in the brain, in liver, and so for the last 20 years, I've been studying mitochondrial function in diseases like cystic fibrosis, in leukemia and cancer in children. I have not done cardiovascular disease, but mitochondria are affected in cardiovascular disease. We know that mitochondria are affected in McArdle's disease and pretty much every muscle disease that emerges. We also know that mitochondria are involved in multiple sclerosis and nervous system diseases, which is super important. Alzheimer's disease, even depression is potentially associated with mitochondrial dysfunction. So we all know that this is massively important for all different conditions that humans are faced with. Just as an aside, I'm sure that many of you have heard me say before, one in five North Americans and people around the world are affected by mental health challenges. This is a particularly concerning number, but here's what I would love for all of us just to consider for one second when it comes to our mental health. How many people know someone who has been struggling with mental health in the last year? It's not one in five, it's 100%, right? It's every single person has been affected by this. Therefore, this is of critical importance for all of us moving forwards. So it's the source of life. It is the challenge that we're faced with in pretty much every chronic disease. It also, mitochondria, they also help us to climb. They help us to run. Anything physical, as well as anything cognitive, depends upon the function of your mitochondria. These are absolutely critical for us. What I'm going to show you today is anything and everything related to how do we optimize our mitochondria? Because I want you to be healthy, I want you to thrive, I want you to be able to move, I want you to be able to do what you do at the highest possible level, but as always, I want to make sure that you have a solid scientific foundation upon which to base your decisions about what is it that you're going to do. And I'm going to be very tactical today. I'm going to be showing you just a whole bunch of things that you can do. Hopefully, all of them work. At least one of them should work. Uh, and there's different sections. So I'm going to talk about breath. I'm going to talk about movement. I'm going to talk about energy and something called hormesis. And then we're going to finish with thriving. I'll do breath and movement this morning. I'll do the thriving uh, and elements this afternoon and the energy piece this afternoon. But ultimately, here's what I want. Here's the undercurrent that I'm detecting at the moment as I move around back and forth between different organizations and different groups. The undercurrent is basically that the last three years has been very, very hard, right? I was not a mess on stage last year expressing the emotion of what has gone on in the last few years. It has been extraordinarily difficult. However, I detect that there's been a shift. 
And the fundamental shift that I am detecting is that now people want to, I think, get back to thriving. We're, I personally am done with the languishing stuff. I want to flourish. I've had enough of being held back. We did what we needed to do. I'm a respiratory physiologist. I believe that we needed to wear masks and social distance. There, we had to do what we needed to do, but now it's time to move forwards and actually get back to reaching our true human potential. Get healthy, perform at a high level, and get back to actually thriving. And I know that there's been significant challenges, but I want us to start moving forwards deliberately and intentionally such, because every single person sitting in the room today can make a difference in the world. So if you all start doing this, there will be exponential impact everywhere. And this idea of thriving, this feeling that I want you to have is summarized perfectly in the next image that I'm going to show you of my son, Adam, who is being held back from recess. And he's the one on the left. Looks like his mom. He is about to unleash his will upon recess, just like I would like you to unleash your will upon your future. Right? I want us to reimagine the future. I want us to let go of what's... We acknowledge the past. We respect it. It's brought us to where we are today. It's created the strength that we have all in us right now. Now it's time to move on. Cool? You with me? The theme today is let's be like Adam. Fair enough? All right, here we go. <clears throat> and I'm going to, like, this is just work. Like, today, we're, normally I try to make you cry. Today, I'm actually just going to make you work. Right? We're just going to be very practical. I'm going to get you to cry later on. But um, maybe. We'll see. Uh, I just want to be super, super practical. I want to give you tactics. I want to take questions. I want to get into the weeds a little bit today. We've got a lot of time together, so let's just like really dig into it and figure, like, what is it that I need to do? What's my couch when it comes to health and well-being and moving forwards? And we need to start with breath. I think that breath work is the new meditation, basically. Like, we've had a lot of talk about meditation over the last few years. I truly believe that breath work is what, we're, what is going to happen moving forwards. And I want to begin here. So breath, when we take a breath in, as you did with me when we started today's session, we inhaled air. I'm a physiologist, so I'll ground everything I'm talking about today in the human body and take you on a journey through the human body. But when air moves in through the nose, through the mouth, down through the airways, into our lungs, you pull oxygen into your lungs. That diffuses out into your blood. We then take carbon dioxide from the blood and exhale it. Plants are the opposite, but basically we are exchanging gases. Those gases then bond with red blood cells and the hemoglobin in those red blood cells. They're full of iron. Iron rusts and becomes red. That's why your blood is red. So blood cells carry that oxygen around your body. That flows through your cardiovascular system, your heart, your arteries, your veins, to every single tissue inside your body. I'm so fascinated by the human body, right? It just like blows my mind when you actually look at it and break it, break it all apart and tease out the fact that oxygen can get delivered to your muscles, can get delivered to your brain, and that oxygen then fuels your mitochondria to create thinking, to create music, to create art, to create business projects, to create sport and movement. That energy then flows from your brain down through your spinal cord. So we are literally fueling every single time that you take that, that breath, that four billion year in the making process that we do almost unconsciously. We are fueling every single cell in our entire body. When we exhale, we are clearing out waste products from every single cell inside of our body. And that is the foundation for our health. That is the foundation for our well-being. That is the foundation for our ability 
to be able to perform. And the greatest challenge I think so many of us are faced with right now in our ability to perform, especially over the last three years, has been the fact that it's been kind of stressful. And about you, it's been, it's been interesting, right? Headlines like COVID-19, Black Lives Matter, residential schools in Canada, murder hornets, right? Like it's, you probably forgot about the murder hornets. It's been that, literally that bad, right? So <laughs> he's like, yes, the murder hornets. Um, so what I want to do right now is just to show you the first specific tactic that I have for you, and that is the breath of calm, which I learned actually from Dr. Robin Hanley Defoe, who's here, one of my incredible colleagues who you're going to learn from later in the week. There's going to be a number of people that come into the room. I'm not going to move. Hopefully my slides don't shift around. Anyway. Um, and the breath of calm works like this. I would like for you to just imagine that it's your birthday. You've sat down, great dinner with family and friends. You sit down at the table, and Everyone's singing happy birthday to you, and you're about to sing. They place the birthday cake in front of you, and you take, they finish singing, and you're like, <sighs> let's just do that together. Okay, sit up straight, smiling. It's your birthday. You're, you're 29. Yay! <laughs> right? <laughs> Deep breath in, and... What is the key? The key to that physiologically is that the exhale must be longer than the inhale. So two seconds in, let's go for like 10 seconds out, all right? Two seconds in and out. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. How many of you ran out, couldn't exhale further past like three? Well, you were all made it. Okay, great. Let's just do one more, a really long exhale. The breath of calm, the birthday candle breath, activates your brain in a very specific way. It's an MRI scan of the brain. The green region is the region called the medulla that controls breathing. That was the big part of my doctoral work was studying how the medulla adapts to exercise training, and it does. The red part is the part that is responsible for stress. They are linked. And so when we take these long, slow exhales, we are sending signals electrically to the stress region of the brain that it's okay. You can calm down. And it's, there's cross-linking between all of those neurons, such that when the neurons in your medulla are firing slowly, that triggers the region of stress management in the brain to also fire slowly. So you can literally calm the brain down. In addition to the birthday candle breath and having a moment with your family and friends, that's great. This is also super powerful right before you're about to walk into a meeting right after your partner says something to you that you find to be uncomfortable. Like when Judith called me earlier this year and said your 12-year-old daughter Ingrid is out on her first date. It's like, <sighs> I'm fine, I'm doing okay, thanks for asking. We're gonna get through this together. Um, <laughs> I'm not fine. Um, but he's a cute kid. Hopefully he lives past this year. But anyway, um, I'm just joking, obviously. Uh, but anyway, point being is like these are this enables you to instead of reacting, to respond because you're just creating that space and time between stressor and what you need to do and or say, right? And that's the magic moment, creating space and time between the stressor or whatever is coming at you, the challenge and your 
in short, reaction, which if you lengthen becomes a response. And that's really key as a fundamental performance principle. We don't want to be reacting to what happens to us. We want to be responding to our environment in a positive, constructive way. Make sense? So that is the breath of calm. Think about it as an opportunity to set yourself up to be world class right before key performance moments in your life, but also as a way for you to stay calm, cool, and collected under pressure when something comes at you that is difficult. The cool thing is, is when you take that breath of calm, you just look thoughtful, <laughs> right? People are like, wow, he's really considering what I'm saying. He's really listening to me. I feel heard, right? Okay. I love you guys so much. I have so badly missed being with live humans for the last three years, like people actually responding to what I say instead of just speaking to a camera. Uh, let's take it up a notch. Things are really hard. The stressor is prolonged. It is a difficult situation. I know, and I've spoken to many of you this year who have had very, very difficult things happen. Very difficult. That last longer than five seconds, more like 10 minutes, 15 minutes a week, right? Really tough stuff. So when we're managing ourselves through prolonged periods of intense challenge, we can leverage the power of something called box breathing. So this is a breathing technique that is taught to SWAT teams, police officers, first responders, special forces soldiers, to enable them to be able to perform at a high level for a long period of time, controlling their stress while still oxygenating their bodies and removing CO2 from all of the intense things that are happening inside their bodies. So it's a, it's a breath pattern that you can use for sustained performance under very difficult circumstances for a long time. You can think about why that would be really good for operations in military, for example. Box breathing lo looks like this. And you can do it with me. I'll make all of these slides available at the end, by the way. So we're going to inhale for four seconds. In, two, three, four. Hold, two, three, four. And out, two, three, four. Hold, two, three, four. We'll do one more round. In, two, three, four. Hold, two, three, four. Out, two, three, four. And hold, two, three, four. The beautiful thing about box breathing is you can do it indefinitely. It prevents you from hyperventilating. It makes sure that you're completely exhaling so that you're not blowing off all your CO2 and getting dizzy under difficult circumstances. You're in the hospital with your child. Things are really difficult. And how do you stay under control as everything is happening to you? Just box, breathe through that entire process. I used that when Ingrid was in the hospital, what was it, gosh, a long time ago now, almost 10 years, right? And, when, and she's having a seizure, and the crash cart's coming, and all that sort of stuff. And my arms are up in the air as people are coming around me, right? I just like literally stood like this my arms up and tried to stay out of the way. I was just like, right? Just like to keep myself under control in that very, very difficult until I could move back out of the way of the 10 people that were um, in the hospital trying to keep her going. So we can use this as a way to control our physiology over long periods of time under very, very difficult circumstances. 
Then we have something that's really cool. This is just a way for you to calm down. It's sort of like a instant short circuit of your nervous system, if you will. So in this case, we are um, a little bit stressed, but you just like you just need to relax, right? You just need to like break the cycle. You need to calm down in the moment. There's an interesting little pattern that you can do. Again, we can do this together. So we take a deep breath in and two extra little sips. And then one more. Work on the two extra little sips at the top. So in slowly. One more, and on the exhale, consciously relax every muscle in your body. How good do you feel right now, right? Like, I feel so much better than when I first stepped up on stage because I was a little bit, like, I'm so physiologically chill right now. The two extra little sips short circuit your nervous system and say everything's okay. You can calm down. Children, you will notice them, will do it naturally. If you watch babies through to like four years old, you'll see them, it's called the physiological sigh, right? They will, right? They'll do it out loud. And you're like, oh, it's so cute. I wish I could do that, right? Like, super helpful. So don't be afraid to practice that. If you're sitting on the couch and it's the end of the day and you just need to chill out a little bit and or you're about to sit down for dinner or you're about to walk in your home or you're about to have a meeting like that, just a little bit of, because what we want to be doing as leaders is setting our physiology to be calm, cool, and collected. We want to be the lighthouse for everyone else around us that's in the storm. That's 100% I just stole Robin Hanley Defoe's book in a sentence, but that's because I try to read stuff from people who inspire me, and that's what, you know, one of her fundamental principles. I'm totally going to steal your entire speech up here because she's so awesome. Um, anything that you hear from me about... Um, anything to do with like being happy and positive psychology and managing yourself, that's Dr. Robbins. Anything to do with exercise is Lisa's. Anything to do with uh, mental skills is from Alex Auerbach, who's coming here later from the Raptors. Like I'm just funneling in and channeling everything that I've learned from all of the awesome people that I've brought to, tried to bring to Epic this year. Um, so anyway, physiological sigh, definitely something you can use to just give yourself that decompression, right? And you can probably see the effect that that's had on me already. I get nervous when I speak, I do. And when I came up here, I was gonna try to do something you know, new, just like begin with breathing. I was a little bit nervous about that. I have such deep love and respect for everyone in the room, a little bit fired up now, like I am super chill as a result of doing all of this breath work. So hopefully you can actually see the physiological effect that's happening in front of all of you and we can leverage that moving forwards. Um, another one that's really interesting and powerful for you, I know a lot of you probably wanna get in shape this year, or maybe get into better shape or exercise a little bit more. Uh, all of my work with the Olympic team as a physiologist was based on sports that were entrained. So my work was largely around helping athletes to breathe in order to move better. So I did canoe kayak, I did swimming, I did cycling, I did triathlon, any, um, even archery and gymnastics where breathing is entrained with the movement, where they have to be linked together. And the really interesting thing about that is if you consider the muscles of breathing, a lot of people just think like, I breathe, but we don't realize how many muscles of breathing are actually involved. So you have obviously all of the muscles of the rib cage, and there's two sets, they're angled in different directions. One set pulls your rib cage up to inhale, and the other pulls your rib cage down to exhale. 
you also have all of the muscles of the neck to inhale with. They lift the bones right here, which help, to inhale, help you to inhale. You also have all of the muscles of your, basically your six pack, right? Like the abdominal muscles. We all have them somewhere, right? <laughs> they're, they're, they are there. And those are your muscles of expiration. They push air out. And you have the diaphragm, which is a really thick piece of muscle that goes right across the inside of your body and separates your lungs and heart from your internal organs. And when you inhale, that pulls down, which is why when you inhale, your belly can pop out. And when you exhale, your belly can pop in. If you want to see that happen, watch a one-year-old breathe. It's amazing. They're like, right in and out. Or baby sleeping, right? It's just so beautiful. We lose that ability as we get older because we're like, right? But like, there's such a huge difference when we actually allow ourselves to use our diaphragm to breathe. When we give ourselves permission for that long, slow exhale, that's what helps us to calm down. When we give ourselves permission to breathe using our diaphragm, we can double or even triple the amount of air that moves in and out of our lungs to bring more oxygen in, to fuel your mitochondria, to take more CO2 out, to get rid of those waste products. And the very, very cool thing that happens is when we breathe, we use all of these muscles. And the more you exercise, the more of them that you use. 15% of all of the muscles in your body are for breathing. So it's a lot. Relative, like it's, it's not an insignificant percentage of your body. And those muscles are connected to your nervous system. And what happens is when your breathing muscles move, your brain knows, your physiology knows that you must breathe at all costs to fuel the exercise, but more importantly, to recover from the exercise to enable you to do more exercise later on. And what your nervous system will do is when you're exercising, the more your breathing muscles move, the more your nervous system will steal blood from your arms and your legs and redirect it to your breathing muscles. That's why when you're running up a flight of stairs and you start to breathe hard, your legs go like, feel like lead. Because your body just basically is like, well, your legs don't need blood. You can lie on the floor. But you do need to breathe, right? So we'll take blood from here to deliver it to these muscles. That was all my work in swimming, canoe, kayak, which changes because you're like swimming, you're flat, or canoe, kayak, you're only using your upper body. Like lots of little nuances there. But basically, the better that we breathe, the easier it is to exercise for all of us. That's why the sun salutations of yoga are such a powerful practice for us to learn how to move while breathing, and even better, breathing in order to be able to move. There's a simple exercise that we can do to sort of highlight this. I'm not going to make you do sun salutations. Eve's like, what? Um, so we just stand up here for a second. I was going to make you do it, but you had a headache last night, and I just, just gave him a break. But anyway, just stand up for a second and just do this with me. So here's the exercise. We're simply going to stand up. Just place your hands in front of your chest. Exhale all the way down. Lift your hands slightly, squeeze your elbows together, and inhale with me. And then slide your arms down as you exhale, and bring them back to center. Inhale to the sky, and exhale. And you just relax down. But that's just like what we're looking to do. Try doing it, actually, while you're holding your breath. 
see how different that feels? How tight it is? How like hard it is to move? Like you're like, right? This can weave its way all through your life to keep you calm, cool, and collected under pressure, to enable your workouts to be so much better but feel so much easier, and enable you to control your stress under very, very difficult circumstances. And this is why we call it breath work or a breath work practice, because it can permeate every aspect of our lives. Um, Adam is here from Othership, there he is, and he is going to lead you through a breathwork practice this afternoon uh, after lunch based on all of this, that we actually get like a real sense of how to do this from like a pro uh, and someone who teaches this, this all the time. So you can have a seat again and we'll do one last little piece of the puzzle and then we'll, we'll take some questions. So the final piece of the puzzle when it comes to breath work is this. I also want you to be able to breathe in order to be able to perform. There are moments in your life where you do need to be truly epic. Like you have to deliver the presentation. You have to have the meeting. You have to make the sale. You have to engage with your family. You have to help your children. You know, like whatever it happens to be in your life. We're looking. We do have these performance moments. And this one is a really critical relationship to understand. We've got some amazing world-class athletes in the room who could debrief this with you on break. Heather's here, Lisa's here, like every, like we've worked on all of this for many, many, many years. And so this is the, in, this is the um, ideal performance state, basically a foundation for the zone. And the way that this works is that doo -doo -doo -doo, we have on the y-axis performance and on the x-axis activation. And when you are low activation, your performance is bad. So we have exhaustion, fatigue, you don't care, right? You're just like not engaged. Then as you get more and more and more activated, you get into a zone where you can be creative, you can be decisive, you can be effective, you can be at your ideal performance state, you are in the zone. And then you get energized, you can perform at a very high level, but then you become too tense, too distracted, nervous, and it just becomes a little bit out of control and you become burned out down on the other end of the spectrum. So I, Greg, as you may have been able to detect, am a pretty highly activated person. When I compete, when I perform, I like to be on the, sort of where energized is on that scale, like pretty far over on the right-hand side of that, that curve. Other people I know actually need to be on slightly more over on the left. They perform better when they're really, really calm. It's very important for you as leaders to know this relationship. Um, I had a wonderful little athlete that I was coaching um, early on in my coaching career. She was like 12, going for a national championship and swimming and 100 butterfly, which is two lengths of the pool, butterfly. And I was a young coach, so I thought everyone needs to be like ready to rock. So fired up, like you know, really energized. So. Um, and she knows that I've told this story many times, so I will use her actual name. Katie comes up to me before the race, and I was like, Katie, you can do this. There's like 5,000 people watching. Your parents are here. Your entire life depends upon this one moment. Scholarship to Stanford, maybe the Olympics. Like, this is your time. And she's like, what the f Right? And then she goes off to race. And it's two lengths of butterfly. So the first length, she was probably about three or four body lengths ahead of the entire field. Beautiful. Flying down the pool. Way too fast. I don't know if she breathed. It was just like, right? And she turns, come up off the wall and lactate, right? Just like, and she just starts sinking lower and lower and lower again. And the last five strokes were like, and then someone passed her and she came sack, which is still pretty amazing. But she didn't win her national championship and it was 100% my fault. So 
she came back to me after the race, and she's clearly quite upset. And I looked at her and I said, Katie, I am so sorry. I just totally cost you a national championship. That is 100% on me. That was my fault. I made a mistake. I got you too fired up. And she goes, yep, you sure did. <laughs> she's like, I'm like, we good? She's like, I'm good. So then she went down to do her warm up, and she was totally fine. She ended up doing really well and you know, swam all the way through university and all that other stuff. So she had a good time. But um, point being is that she operated over on the other end of the spectrum. You may have team members who need to be psyched up. You may need to be psyched up. We may have, you may have other team members who need to be calm. Because you're a leader, people will match your energy levels. So it's very important for you to know where your teammates need to be. Where do you need to be? Where does your partner or, or spouse need to be? Judith needs to be really, really calm. I come home from work, and it's, I, t I have to go for a walk first before I can enter into the house and have positive um, engagements with my family. I need to chill for quite a while to get myself down to the state I need to be in. We see this over and over and over again in sports. If you watch athletes right before they compete, they're getting themselves in the zone. This is Max Perot, who uh, a little bit before the Olympic Games was diagnosed with cancer, actually, and went through chemo and radiation and eventually made it back to uh, the Olympics, at the most recent Olympics in Beijing, and this is him right before he was about to compete. And if you watch the video of this moment right before he was about to go down the run, you can see him letting go, centering himself, bringing his attention into the moment of his performance, not the crowd, not the implications, not the history, not everything that he's been through in that moment. What he was doing is what I think the vast majority of us need to do, and that is to pull ourselves back into the performance zone that we need to be in in order to be able to either serve or perform ourselves. And so that's the end benefit of all of this work that we've been speaking about so far, is learning how to regulate our physiology, learning how to regulate your performance, learning how to exercise better, such that you can be a much better servant leader under moments that are extraordinarily challenging. They could be positive, they could be negative, life is like that. Either way, this works for absolutely everything. The good thing is right now, breathwork is so popular. It is without question the next meditation. There are amazing apps that you can get like Othership, which is what I think Adam's gonna talk to us about and we'll, um, we can learn from that. That's how I've been learning how to do it. Um, but I'll pause there and just say, let's take a moment. That was a big section. I wanna make this practical and applicable. So let's take a break and just talk about this stuff that we've spoken about so far. What questions do you have so far? Kevin. Breathing while you sleep. Um, so that's really interesting. <coughs> a lot of wearable devices now enable you to track your oxygen saturation. So you could actually track that during the course of the night and you will begin to see whether or not you have periods where you are not um, actually breathing. It's called sleep apnea. It happens to many people, especially if you sleep on your back. And so when we sleep, when we breathe, when we sleep, what happens is you, um, physiologically, if you are awake, there's a wakefulness drive to breathe. The second that you are awake, there's some neurons that just fire, so your breath comes up. If you move your body, there are neurons in your brain that make you breathe even more. And so when you fall asleep, 
all of those drives to breathe leave, and you're left with a rhythmical pattern of neurons that fire deep inside your medulla that keep you breathing at a very, very, very slow level. Uh, you will breathe a little bit faster if you're dreaming, but in general, it's just that rhythmic, gentle pattern. If you are lying on your back and your tongue, air, your airways collapse, there might be a period of time where you don't breathe. CO2 will build up to the point where it triggers you to wake up, startled, breathe, take a whole bunch of breaths, blow off your CO2, and that's a pattern that occurs throughout the course of the night. Uh, that's why a CPAP machine might work for someone who's struggling with that. But the other thing that tends to work really well for people who are struggling with that, believe it or not, is running. I don't know what it is about running. Never done a study on it. There's no research around with it. But anyone that I know who has had sleep apnea who starts running strengthens the muscles of the airway and that, that stops. Another thing that seems to work really well for that is, and I check with your doctor before you, before you do this, is just a little bit of tape on your mouth to trigger nose breathing and that helps people to fall asleep and to stay asleep a little bit better as well. So uh, it's a, there's a whole field of study around breathing while you're, while you're asleep. And so that's what, what little bit I know about it. Asthma. So on asthma, we have a situation where you have what is known as a reactive airway. And so the airways, the lining of the airways that go from big all the way down to microscopic, deep in your lungs, are hyper-reactive to stimulants from the environment. And so I could take a breath and have no reaction whatsoever. Someone with asthma would take the same breath, inhale a couple molecules of a pollutant of some kind, nitric oxide from a car, for example, and that would hit the lining of the airway and make the lining go because it's smooth muscle and it's, it's unconscious and it just reacts, which makes your airways go from this to like this which is why someone having an asthma attack has a really hard time. And then you can take a puffer, which relaxes those airways and opens them up such that you can breathe um, easily. Okay. Got it. So for anyone who's athletic and has asthma, there's asthma, which is reactive airways. We think maybe it's allergic in origin or inflammatory in origin. There's also a different type of asthma called exercise-induced asthma, which is not due to reactive airways from inflammation or allergies. Those are because you are taking really deep breaths and you pull cold air into the deep airways of the lungs and that cold air triggers some reactions. So exercising in dry, cold air is difficult. So for people with asthma who are exercising, swimming is incredible. Um, exercising indoors might be good if it's hot and there's bad pollution. So we look at every different tactic we can just to put you in an environment where it's easy to exercise in such a way that the air is humid and, and warmed up so it's a little bit easier for you to exercise. I've got two recorded 90-minute lectures on that that I can send to you, and so just message me afterwards and I'll flip you those. They're from Greg like 15 years ago, so I've got lots of hair and other things, so it's, yeah, no worries. Anything else? Yeah. Hi, Peter. It's likewise. Got it, box breathing and smoking. Um, <laughs> wow. 
trust the musician. He's like, what about the... Wow. Yeah, that's my next study. <laughs> right. The only cigarette I've ever had in my life was when I was racing it with my friends to see who could smoke it the fastest, and I've never smoked one ever again. So I don't know anything about this. I'm super hyper competitive. Like that's how we experimented with smoking. Was like, who can do this the fastest? Um, <laughs> uh, so I don't. I, I don't know. Actually, is the answer to that, Peter? It's like a super interesting question. Like a lot of people probably smoke and feel a sensation of like relaxation and may, is it the nicotine or is it perhaps that pattern of breathing that we've adopted? Maybe it's a bit of a combination of, of both. Um, not sure. I do pediatric research. They don't let us study cigarettes. So um, <laughs> probably not gonna do, not gonna do that, but uh, really interesting idea. Super interesting idea. Don't know. Yes. Yeah, I see that with clients and I recommend that you take out a picture of a straw to have something in your fingers. Oh. Oh wow, super cool. Right on. Uh, got it. So let's start with nitric oxide. A lot of talk about that. Started with um, a gentleman in the UK who was studying beet juice because when you drink beet juice, it increases the production of nitric oxide in your body. Nitric oxide has all sorts of effects. One of the effects is that it relaxes your airways and it relaxes your blood vessels. So it increases um, air movement in and out of the lungs and it increases blood flow into the brain, into the muscles. So a lot of athletes, for example, will drink beet juice before they compete. There's all sorts of different ways of increasing your nitric oxide production. Uh, so I know there's been a lot of talk about nasal breathing and its effect upon a whole host of different things. I don't know if nasal breathing affects nitric oxide production. We do know that nasal breathing does trigger some nerves that are connected to the airways that causes some physiological effects. So I do recommend that people experiment with sitting down and just simply breathing in and out through their nose. I know that in um, a number of practices in, that I learned when I was in India is the simple idea of inhaling through one nostril. So you do alternate nostril breathing, which is a super interesting practice as well. Uh, and you'll notice that one air airway will be open for a while and it will be like really open and then it will shift back and forth and there's some work that's been done around all of that. To answer, like, it's a complex question. Nitric oxide is super important. So if you hear about anything that's like, hmm, this helps with nitric oxide, for sure check that out. It's probably interesting. Does nasal breathing affect nitric oxide? I'm not sure, but it does have an effect upon, because there's a, a number of neurons that are connected to the brain that change a bunch of different things. In general, fairly positive. I, I've also heard that nasal breathing helps to run marathons faster. I don't think that's true. Um, but there is definitely some benefits to uh, your physiology from doing nasal breathing. I need to read a lot more about that. I don't, I don't know enough about it probably to answer your question. It's just a statement. Got it. Good comment. Got it. Perfect. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Dr. Greg Wells podcast. If you found this show informative and helpful, check out my blog at drgregwells.com for additional insights and resources on health and human performance. I update the blog a couple times a month. To stay up to date on the latest tips, articles, and videos, be sure to follow me on social at Dr. Greg Wells. My goal on social is to keep your health and wellness and positivity 
at the forefront of your mind. And so I would be thrilled to connect with you there. If you found this episode helpful, please consider subscribing to the podcast. That helps us out a ton and leave a review. Your feedback is greatly appreciated and helps me to continue to produce valuable content that's relevant to all of you. Please feel free to share this episode with your friends and community. That helps a ton as well. And that brings this week's show to an end. I look forward to seeing you in the next episode. Have a great week, everyone.